You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Tomb of Dracula, Episode 3B, covering a period of the Tomb of Dracula from 1974 to 1975. Actually, it's just 1975. We're, we are covering just the second half of Tomb of Dracula Complete Collection, Volume 3. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Tomb of Dracula co-host, Josh Tan. Last episode... We talked about issues numbers 25 to 30. Yes. And, in, and also Giant Size Dracula number three. And in this one, we're going to be covering Tomb of Dracula numbers 31 to 35 and Giant Size Dracula three and four. Now, nope, four, four and five. Or, sorry, yes. Giant Size Dracula yep. four and five. <laughs> you just loved, <laughs> you, you loved five so much that you just, you know, <laughs> it just, it just escaped your memory there. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. Uh, um, number five, let me tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, yeah, quickly before we start, all of you listeners have to know that just, you know, earlier this week, Josh sent me a message saying, I'm having a real hard time getting through Giant Size Dracula number five. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I hadn't read it at that point, and now that I've read it, I'm like, oh yeah, man, we got a lot to talk about that one. Boy, holy cow! And and that's not normally me. I, I usually could read just about any comic you put in front of me and find some value out of it. And that one, <laughs> until <laughs> until Giant Size Dracula number five, that was that was how I used to be able to do it. But we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Well, that's your tease, everybody, because we're going to save that issue for last in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you'll have to wait and see what we have to say about that one. Uh, okay, so let me see here. Where are we in the world of Dracula right now? What's going on? All right, so we just came off of our previous uh, about five issues or so of the the main series uh, by Marv Wolfman and Gene Coleman. Coleman, uh, geez. We just came off about five issues of Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan's Tomb of Dracula proper, uh, the main series, um, which we covered in the last episode. And this, we got an introduction to Hannibal King, and then we went into about a three or four parter dealing with a uh, statue of a chimera that apparently held great power. So that kind of propelled us up to this point. Um, we just had a standalone issue where Dracula kind of went over three moments in his life where he failed. Um, it was kind of an introspective type of uh, issue. And now we're picking up where we left off. We had a couple of dangling plot lines. Frank Drake, one of our vampire hunter characters, he is in Brazil right now working for, I believe it's his cousin. Yep. So that is currently happening. Uh, Another one of our cast of characters of vampire hunters, Taj, he's still in India. He went home to deal with his son and uh, the, the wife that he left behind. Um, so that storyline is still going. And at the same time, back in England, in London, we have Dracula uh, 
and Quincy Harker mainly being the one who is handling him right now. So these next few issues are very much kind of um, globe hopping, which makes it that much more intriguing and interesting. Uh, there's there's a lot lot of moving parts in these. Yeah, a lot of moving parts. In fact, these storylines, uh, for the most part, I mean, they're loosely connected, and we'll find out why. But uh, they're all, yeah, they're all separate. Uh, and it's not till like the last couple of issues into this book. Um, actually, yeah, they're all separate. They they don't meet up at the at the end of this book at all. So we're gonna have to see because eventually Frank Drake and everybody are going to come back together again except for you know we'll talk about one thing there was one commenter one person who left a comment in the last episode who said that it felt like they're kind of you know spinning tires a little bit because the team is not even together so mm. that that could be the case but these were still really interesting and engaging stories i would agree and i, I also think this was a hallmark of this crop of writers during this time in the bronze age uh, with Wolfman, Len Wein, uh, Steve Englehart, th- this this crew of uh, guys that came on, you know, young guys, because they were, you know, late teens, early 20s when they were writing Marvel Comics. Um, this is something that I think all three of them really did uh, pretty well, is just start subplots early and just touch base on them throughout, you know, could take three, four, five epi- uh, issues and then, and then there's your next round of, uh, you know, your next storyline. Um, and, and absolutely, Marv Wolfman's been doing this basically since issue one. And for anybody getting into Tomb of Dracula, you can jump in for the most part at any one of these, but uh, you'll get so much more out of it starting with the first issue, which kind of goes without saying. But yeah, with Wolf, Wolfman uh, especially, that's that's just his style. And especially when you have a creative team that's on a book for an extended period of time, they keep building upon the, the their own history that they're creating. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have a, a creative team that just, or a book that has a creative team that changes every few issues, every 10 or 12 issues or whatever, then, you know, they tend to start from scratch every single time. And you don't, you can, you can jump on easier at that point. But now we're kind of approaching the halfway mark of the series. It it ran for seventy issues, right? The main series. Yeah, that's right. And then you know, there's a there's a few crossover comics here and there, like with Doctor Strange and what have you. So, yeah, by the time we hit thirty five, we're right there. We're right at that halfway point. So there we go. Uh, by this point, they are well established to what they're doing. Now, I think that splitting up the team is actually a smart thing to do. Uh, even though that one commenter didn't appreciate that as much, but. We need to know more about Dracula because the the majority of this book, it started with Frank, Frank Drake, and he's been our main character, even though the book is called Tomb of Dracula. And I think we made a comment in one of the past episodes, might have been episode two, that often the case, Dracula is, um, he's just a behind the scenes character to showcase whatever short story or, or you know, random person they want to talk about. Uh, in in that particular issue. Mm-hmm. And so what they're doing right now is by splitting up the team, they are putting the focus squarely on Dracula. And we started to see that come out in the last volume, in volume two of the complete collection at the end, where we're talking, where, where we meet Dr. Sun. And now we're starting to uh, have more long form storytelling, you know, three or four part stories that squarely focus on um, on Dracula instead of on our vampire hunter team. So I think it's actually kind of a nice breath of fresh air in that sense. I do want the characters to come back together again, but it's nice to enjoy this while we have it. 
Yeah, and I I think this is pretty typical too. I mean, if you look at this in terms of like if this was a TV show, I mean, oh yeah. man, if we could have been so lucky that we actually had a '70s era Tomb of Dracula TV series. Um, but but this is exactly how they do it. You know, Frank Drake was our introductory character. He was our our eyes and ears into this world, and then you get to breathe, and you have this whole cast of characters that have a history. It makes sense to you know slowly but surely dive into like okay what's Taj's origin what's Blade's origin and that's yep. what they've been doing and it just it makes you feel more for these characters absolutely um beyond just the the initial um you know introductions so yeah I I like it I I, I just find it that much more compelling because you know here and there you get three pages from you know like Frank's story in Brazil and then you have nothing until the next issue so you know you get to the next issue you're like oh yeah Frank I forgot so <laughs> It's, uh, I don't know, it, it keeps it going, I think. Totally, absolutely. And speaking of keeping going, <laughs> let's keep on going here. Before we jump into our issues, I just want to say uh, this episode is brought to you by Dying Breed Collectors. And if you enter a code... Epic Marvel Podcast, all one word, into your the, the code of the shopping cart, then you can get 10% off of any Epic collection that you are purchasing that day. And uh, as a special bonus, if you are thinking of buying the amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection Volume 6, The Death of Captain Stacy, if you enter that code, you'll actually get 15% off, not just 10% off. So maybe take advantage of that uh, and then enjoy all of those awesome Epic collections. Okay, here we go. Tomb of Dracula, number 31. This one is cover dated April 1975. And uh, this one's called Ten Lords A-Dying. A little play on the 12 Days of Christmas, Ten Lords A-Leaping. <laughs> we are introduced to a young girl whose name is... What is her name? I don't even remember. Miss Singleton. Uh, she is not long for this world in this issue unfortunately she dies at the hand of dracula in the second on the second page and this is all to uh, to to get under the skin of this one guy singleton who happens to be like a a member of the parliament in london uh, and dracula is mind controlling uh 10 members of parliament and singleton is the last holdout he's for some reason impervious to Dracula's uh, hypnotic ways. And so uh, we don't exactly know what the plan is at this point, I don't think. But Singleton has some blackmail. He's like, don't come, don't come near me, Dracula. I, If you do, um, I won't share this secret about how I know you're going to die in two weeks. <laughs> like That's pretty big news. So Dracula yep. wants to know. And we don't find out what that is, but Dracula looks at the papers that he has and instantly knows that it's true. And so that means something. So we got to figure out what's going on there. And then in the meantime, Inspector Kelm, good old Inspector Kelm. I don't. I think it's been a little while since we've seen him, except for in the giant size issue that we saw last. Uh, yeah, last and that was only there. the final couple of panels in uh, the giant size uh, Dracula 3. Right. Uh, but he definitely seems to be a main player for the next few issues here. Definitely. Um, and yeah. he's got a new trick up his sleeve. He has silver bullets with crosses painted on them. So he's going to shoot Dracula. And, he, and it seems to be very effective. He shoots Dracula with this. And uh, and it really, really kind of messes him up. So that's mm -hmm. that's a good thing. He's on the right track there. Not enough to 
to do and make any big difference though but so dracula gets away to fight another day uh, a couple cool plot lines going on here one of them is that we see quincy again and quincy is uh, has been tracking all of the what he believes to be vampire related news that he's been uh, getting from the police and he's he comes to the conclusion that dracula is still alive so that's a big deal. Yep, because up to this point for, for quite a while now, maybe the last 10, 15 issues, Dracula was uh, presumed, uh, well, actually dead. Um, and yeah. uh, it's part of the reason why the vampire hunter group that we've been following kind of, kind of for the most part, broke up because right. they, they don't really need to keep going. And then we have two pages of plot points. And I like the way that they're laid out here. They're kind of a yeah. little hard to read. Uh, in the sense that you're trying to read both of them at the same time. But uh, we have uh, the subplot where Taj is at home with his son, and he is is faced with the fact that he must kill his son, uh, who is a vampire, before the the townspeople do. He'd rather it be at his hand than the townspeople's hands. Mm -hmm. But then he tries and he can't do it. He... uh, he just can't, which is like we've we've seen Taj as such a hard, uh, steady character over the course of this series. He is yep. a he's a constant in that sense. But now we see what really makes him tick and what makes him vulnerable, and it's it's the fact that he has to try and kill his son here. Taj's story that uh, kind of has been revealed to us, both with his origin of him becoming a mute and what happened to his wife and his son. Uh, up to all the way up to this point where he tries and can't kill his own. It's all very heartbreaking. It is. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a tough it's actually tough to read. It, they, they do a good job with it. Second plot is now we uh, finally get to see why Frank is going to Brazil. He has been taken to Brazil with uh, his cousin and they're going to go into some business together, some do some mining or something. This I guess this has to do with uh, what money owed or something like that between the two of them so he's helping him out yeah he i guess uh in the first issue he had originally reached out to his cousin to help him because he was broke and his cousin wouldn't help him and uh and then he fell into the vampire hunting business as you do when you run out of money I don't think it pays well though <laughs> i guess not well he met rachel so you know that's <laughs> that's true that's a little perk of the yeah. job but uh, but yeah, so this is and, and his cousin here, come, he does come across as kind of a kind of a fast talker, a little bit of a, you know, that that car salesman, used car salesman type of guy. And he sets him up as basically he's going to be the the foreman or the manager of this this mine. And we we get a couple glimpses of the workers and they have blank stares. Yeah, but they don't look too good. They, they, they seem odd. They're not quite right. That is a mystery for another day. Yes. And then last subplot is uh, taking a look at Rachel and seeing what she's up to, which is not much. Uh, mm-hmm. And she just kind of lost in her thoughts. And then um, uh, I guess, is she living in Big Ben's Tower? <laughs> I guess. I don't think so. I think, <laughs> but but I do see, because you see the bat outside of her window and then it cuts to outside of Big Ben and you see Dracula as a bat flying past it. She just must be in another sky. I, I don't think there's apartments up there. I don't think so either. Uh, <laughs> unless that's where, you know, vampire hunters make their bases. That, hey, behind I mean, it makes plot. sense. You get a good view of the city that way. Yep. But anyway, so now we are, uh, that that's kind of just a little hint of where all four of our major players are. And uh, and that's all we get out of this whole issue is, is just those few pages. The bulk of it is spent on Dracula learning about what is written on this paper. 
Yes. Um, I did like at the beginning of this when we see uh, that the Miss Singleton, Mary Beth Singleton, or when she's killed, it's it's narrated with, you know, your typical captions in the panels, but it's text. It, it's typed. And and it's done that way because this is actually a police report that we're reading. Yeah. As we see the action played out. I, I really like that. I thought that was a nice little touch. It is a great, unique touch, something that uh, it, we haven't seen before. And uh, it's just nice to to get that difference because it starts off in the very typical you know third person narration uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning and then yeah and like the typeface is different when it gets to this police report uh, it looks like a computer find instead of a handwritten find and I also like the fact that the whole page is bathed in blue blues yes. and grays so it's got a monochromatic color scheme which also lends itself to like imagining. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagining the situation as it's being typed out to us here in the police report. So very cool. Yeah, they did a good job with that. All right. We are at Tomb of Dracula issue 32. Uh, this is May 1975. So we are definitely continuing on our monthly basis here for this series. Uh, name of this issue is And Some Call Him Madness. So in this one, we got Quincy Harker, who has planned for a final showdown which includes a gauntlet of booby traps, which is our third <laughs> gauntlet uh, in this complete collection alone that Dracula has to go through. Yeah, uh, Harker has Dracula dying in front of him at the end of this, but Dracula had a contingency plan the entire time. He had kidnapped Rachel. He had some of his uh, vampire ladies holding her captive. So the the killing stroke is not hit at the end of this issue. It's kind of left as a cliffhanger. While all that's going on, we touched once again with Frank in Taj. Frank in Brazil, he realizes that his workers are Zuvembis, which was Bronze Age Marvel for zombies. Yep. And Taj was looks to be too late to to save his vampire son from the villagers. So that would be that issue. Really like this cover with Quincy on the floor. His, his wheelchair is completely flipped up. And he's like vainly struggling, reaching for a wooden stake as Dracula zooms in on him. Uh, it looks like it's got to be Gil Kane artwork just with the way that that hand is drawn. It seems like a Gil Kane hand. Yeah, you could be right about that. I don't see a GK anywhere, which he, he would write, but I feel like that's a Gil Kane cover. <laughs> yeah, well, like placing the camera low, he, Gil Kane likes to do that as mm-hmm. well. And so, yeah, I think so. Looks like it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of drama on that cover. I really like that. Okay, so these pages with the subplots with Taj and Frank, they are done in the way where it's two columns and the Taj story is told in on the left column and the Frank story is told on the right column. How did you read these? Did you go one uh, like one page, like you did one column and then one column on one page and then moved on? Or did you like read all of the Taj stuff first? Because this goes over three pages. As soon as, because they did this in the last issue, as soon as I realized the what they were doing here, I would go all Taj and then go back and read all Frank. Because um, sometimes I've seen this in comics where you are supposed to read them side by side. Uh, the one that happens to pop into my head is uh, in Watchmen. They do a lot of uh, parallels to the pirate comics mm-hmm. to run alongside what's happening in the actual the story that they're telling. Um, and I found that even then was incredibly distracting. So <laughs> uh, with this, 
I'm not sure why they did this other than maybe just to save space that, okay, here's all of our subplots here. But um, I read them both separately because it was a little, it was a little too jumping back and forth if you were to do it the other way. I agree. Uh, it was very jumpy back and forth. I tried reading, um, I tried it a couple of different ways. I tried reading a full page first. And then I tried alternating the panels because like it's the same amount of panels in each column. And I wasn't sure if maybe you're supposed to go and flip flop between the two columns, mm -hmm. but that the way that they've colored the gutter with that yellow right. and black leads me to believe that, no, you're not supposed to jump back and forth between. Uh, and then, so if you look though on page 164 and 165, this is the first two pages with these columns, mm -hmm. the, the narration box at the bottom of 164 of the Taj column says, Adri Nitel has slain no one, but these villagers have no knowledge of that. And then at the very top of page 65, it says, so instead they attack their friend, attack him and toss him helplessly aside. So those two text boxes literally mm -hmm. go side by side, like one right after the other. So right. it would uh, it would really disrupt the flow if you read the first, the Taj column on 164, and then you read the the Frank column. I think you actually do need to go through these three, three pages and read the Taj, all of the Taj columns first, and then go back and read all of the Frank columns. And they, and they don't relate. They don't parallel or anything. The only reason I can figure that they wanted to do it this way is to show that they're kind of happening at the same time, just on different parts of the world. Any way you do it, you go back to these subplots and show what's happening. I mean, any way you're going to do it, you're going to have some sort of, uh, not jarring effect, but you know, you're clearly being taken out of the Dracula Harker battle. Yeah. So I, I but I agree that they, they definitely did this just to kind of show that it's happening at the same time. What I wanted to point out is, and I know we probably have brought him up before, but once again, Tom Palmer as the inker of this series and Tom Palmer as an inker in general, yep. look at the use of the Zipatone in pages six, 164 and 165, not only with the in-between black and yellow divider there, which, you know, that's all Tom Palmer, but at the bottom of 164, when we see the, I mean, I'm just going to call them zombies because I don't like the word Zuvembi. It's very <laughs> awkward. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we see him in shadow, but, you know, at the at the face, you know, he took the time to, I, I, I'm not sure if you're aware of the process, how they had to cut out mm -hmm. the shape they wanted yep. uh, on, the, on the sticky. And then on 165, when the, the zombie turns around and half the face has the, the zipatone and they didn't even color that. It's in black and white on the one half. And it's a gradient zipatone as well. It's not just... Yes, a, a, a one tone. Yeah, and and I always even on 164 the rock that the that the zombie's lifting up, he yep. put zipatone on that. Um, and I always have just marveled at his his use of that. I think I don't think there were inkers that used it as much as him or artists. I know sometimes the pencilers would put it in. I noticed that when he was doing uh, Avengers uh, inking uh, John Buscema, he used a lot of that zipatone as well. And I've seen interviews with guys who said how much of a pain in the butt that stuff was, but man, it, it, he uses it a lot. So, and, and it works beautifully, I think. It absolutely does. You're right. Very, very effective. And it's really kind of only in that one scene. I don't think that he uses it at all during the Dracula stuff. So it's to convey a certain effect with the zombies for sure. Yeah, he, he uses it. When he uses it, it, it's for a purpose, yeah. Yeah, on 173, he does it a couple of times with Dracula's face to show the contrast between the, the light 
Oh, yeah. Um, and it's mm-hmm. also on the floor there. So, yeah, he uses it sparingly, but effectively. Very mm-hmm. nice. What did you think of Harker and Dracula's uh, battle here? This gauntlet and and the traps that, that Harker uh, will remind our audience that Quincy Harker is known to be a inventor, an inventor of, of sorts, um, a tinkerer. He's always coming up with some new gadgets. He's kind of, I imagine, what Whistler was based on in the Blade movies was uh, the, the Quincy Harker character. Uh, what did you think of this? I thought this battle was great. The, the next time blurb in the previous issue says, a battle to the death in the Harker estate, and only one survives. And so I was thinking to myself the whole time, I honestly think that Quincy's going to die here, because yeah. how can you kill off Dracula if the book is called Tomb of Dracula? But you can get rid of Quincy Harker. So I completely thought until the very end of this issue and even into the next issue that Harker was going to die here. I like everything that he had. He he knew he was coming. Yep. He he even tells him, go ahead and come on in, Dracula. You're going to figure it out anyway, because he has to be invited in, as is the old vampire uh, mythology. Yep. It's like he's he's playing it cool as a cucumber because he's ready to go. And I have to say, one of the one of my favorite things that he has as far as. Uh, tricks up his sleeve is his dog saint has a collar that is uh, studded with silver crosses yes so when saint goes flying across the room lunges at dracula dracula's holding them and you see all this steam coming off of his hand because he's touching the silver crosses on the dog's collar i'm like that is great like like the uh, crypto eat your heart out like i just thought that was so cool <laughs> it is it's great he he really thinks of everything and this is the culmination of everything that he's been working for in this entire mm-hmm. series and so like the stakes are high <laughs> stakes get it <laughs> huh. uh, and and yeah we're going to see what happens here now i the big surprise here in this one is that harker has red eyes because yes. i guess he's been bitten and and drained of blood one too many times he is not full vampire mm-hmm. he hasn't been turned or he hasn't been sired i guess but he has been used in that way which did we know that before because i don't think we knew that before i don't think so we just oh he's always been wearing sunglasses and it does bring up a question that, you know, they, you know, you, you play fast and loose a little bit with, you know, the vampire, you know, how this works. You know, you just assume, oh, you got bit while well, you turn into a vampire. But sometimes Dracula will drain the blood and kill the person. And then other times, like in this case, they must have a certain control over what their bite actually does. In this case, you know, maybe he's done that purposely, just always like, "Ah, I'm just going to drain some from you. You're not going to turn all the way into a vampire just to keep messing with him, which is almost worse if you think about it. Oh, yeah. That that he must have overpowered Quincy enough times where he's just playing with him like a cat and mouse type of deal. But it's it's very alarming when you see uh, the the glasses are off and you see Quincy's eyes are just completely pink with red pupils. Um, yeah, it looks awful. Interesting coloring choices. Tom Palmer is also the colorist in all of these issues. Okay. And there's some great coloring choices once we get into the thick of the battle. Once we hit page one seventy six and the lights go out, and so oh yes, Tom Palmer uses uh, some pretty garish looking colors, greens and blues in order to show the light bouncing off of these characters. And I think it really adds a level of just uh, grotesqueness to this to this whole battle. Mm-hmm. It, like, it's an ugly battle in general, uh, not in the way that 
Gene Colan draws it, just in its in, in, in sure. its uh, in its tone, in the way that it's being dealt with. Well, and for this entire event, right after Saint lunges at him, Gene Colan starts really messing up his borders again and yeah. gets them all wonky and and uh, jarring. Just to, and then it calms down again at the very end of the issue. But during this whole confrontation. Um, yeah, it's it's a subtle thing, but it's great. I love this bit, too, where the Quincy's innocent pool table, he just hits a button and, oh, it's a crucifix. It flips up. And... <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's just it's just great. It, of, of all three of the gauntlets that we saw in this complete collection, this was the best one. I feel like this is the type of thing you would see all the time in like the Silver Age of D.C., Mm-hmm. With like crazy death traps, the Joker would put Batman through or whatever. It's like, yeah, like the the pool table is absolutely so ridiculous. And if you saw that in an old issue <laughs> of Superman from the, from the fifties or the sixties, then you'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, those silly DC Silver Age. But then in this right. one, it's like treated seriously, and it actually is kind of cool. <laughs> Uh, agreed. Uh, I think any of that stuff done in, in moderation, because, you know, at the end of the day, you're reading a comic book. Yeah. So you always want some of that comic bookiness. Right. And, and with this particular series not being superhero, you know, it's it's not a lot of that in there. But, That's true. Um, but yeah, it's some of that is there and it's it's fun. You know, you have this moment of fun because, you know, right before it turns into a crucifix, you know, he's just sitting there again, cool as a cucumber, playing pool, just like, oh, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> and then out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I did also want to say at the end when Dracula is dying at the top of 179. So he gets almost a lethal hit. He he got hit with a couple of these arrows and he's slowly dying. He's it's not a it's not an instant death. The top of 179 that first panel we get this shot of Dracula starting to wither away and, and uh, you yeah. know you know his lips are curling up and you know it, it's disgusting um, and that's just the process of him slowly dying it's really cool uh, I like that too this is also the issue where Dracula reveals that he's actually the one who split up the team he orchestrated things uh, so that Taj would be in India and so that Frank would be in Brazil and uh, and he's even kidnapped Rachel, like this is all his doing. Mm-hmm. So that's very, very cool to find out that, you know, Dracula has been planning this for a very long time. He is a he is quite a master planner in that sense. And it's very, very cool. Well, and it's a cool dichotomy there because Quincy clearly has been working on this gauntlet of his for quite some time as well. Uh, I mean, we there's stuff we didn't even mention, all the different darts he has hidden in yeah. different places. He's got a, a, a trap door in a ceiling that just drops garlic on him. Like there's a, all sorts of cool gimmicks he had figured out and planned and probably took a long time considering he's in a wheelchair. Uh, he probably had to hire contractors and be like, oh, no, right, yeah. we need the garlic up there. We need the pool like, table oh. to flip yeah. this fast. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, we got another order from old man Harker again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Just do what he says and don't ask questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Um, but and what's great about Dracula splitting up the team and kidnapping, it's all done off panel. It's in between the comics. Yeah. We, we, we never saw it. And it, it, I always like stuff like that when I read comics because it breathes life into the world. It's almost like you have to get back to the issue, like get back into the world, be like, oh, okay, what's been going on? What did I miss in between last issue and now? And I always thought that was a cool uh, way of writing um, when, when folks did these. Definitely. Okay, well, let's keep on going over to Tomb of Dracula number 33. So this one's called Blood on My Hands. Dracula is not looking too good. He is... He mm-hmm. is uh he's slowly dying but 
Quincy has a decision he has to make now. Is, is he going to allow Dracula to live in order to save Rachel's life, or is he going to kill Dracula, which will in turn kill Rachel, who is being held by those other two vampires? Ultimately, he decides that he's got to let Dracula go. And of course, I could have predicted that once we got to that point, because now we, we need you know a bunch of our main characters to be together still. So that makes sense. Uh, it's just too bad because the stakes were so high. It would have been a nice finale, but we got to keep the monthly title going as long as it's selling. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's too early if they if he's done it 33 issues. Yep. We get some flashbacks, though, which are kind of nice. We get to learn a little bit about Quincy's past, about and especially about Elizabeth's death, because we knew that his wife had died, but we didn't really know how. And we knew his daughter died, because that happened actually in the pages of Tomb of Dracula in the first few issues. Yep, we saw that. But this one, we find out that uh, it it wasn't even directly Dracula that that killed her. It's actually kind of tragic. She kills herself, and I, I really like that story and, and because Dracula has had scarred her and emotionally kind of manipulated her, and like she was kind of scared of everything, kind of shut herself in, and eventually it was just too much. Mm-hmm. And so that was quite quite interesting. Yeah, it was uh, as we were talking about earlier in the in the show. You know, we get these origins of these characters that we met already with so much history, and and Quincy being you know the 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 oldest of all of them. Um, I mean, they flash back. They show the dates. We we go all the way back to 1945 for the initial you know hit uh, him and uh, Dracula with his wife. Yeah. So he's been dealing with this for for quite a long time. I mean, within the comic book, this is happening in you know quote unquote modern days. So it's 1975. So for 30 years, he's been dealing with Dracula. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know vampires in general. And yeah, it was it was really good, but again, tragic. And you know, it's it, it's tough. It's tough to read these because you care about these characters. And man, I mean, you realize just how awful Dracula is. And I, uh, uh, I mean, it, it's I not even exactly what you're talking about. It's not even like he goes for the emotional gut punch in this one, like he because he can be a very brutal, violent person. But in this one, he grabs the urn that has Elizabeth's ashes and just throws it at Harker, spraying it all over him and all over the place. And the the urn smashes. And that's like, it's like a low blow. It's, it's almost worse than if he were to break his arm or, you know, slash his throat or whatever. I'm not even kidding. When I read that, because the way it is in the complete collection is you turn the page to see it happen. Yeah. It's, it's a gut punch to you, the reader. And I won't read what I wrote in my notes here because we're trying to keep this family friendly. So we'll just say, we'll just say I called him a jerk. Uh, it, it, that was terrible. Yeah. Um, cause you, you felt that cause at, prior to this, you know, he's wrestling with the fact that he has to save Rachel's life, even though he swore to his daughter or, or was it his wife? He swore to one of them that he would never let this happen again. And it's basically happened you know, for a third time now, he almost like any deaths that Dracula causes after this, or he's going to be responsible for, um, which would have been, you know, to sacrifice Rachel, you can't do that. You know, it's, it's very tough. It's very tough. You get all this moral gray area and Dracula is manipulating all of it. So this is, this just shows you that Dracula is truly an evil person. Yeah. He, cause he was at death's door. Like he was about to be completely annihilated 
And he never begged or anything like that. He never said, please don't kill me. Mm-hmm. And the instant he gets, he, like, he, the instant he regains his health again and, and reforms or rejuvenates or whatever you want to call it, kind of the first act he does is grabs that urn yep. and throws it. And then he literally walks away laughing his head off because he th- thinks it's so hilarious that he's torturing this, this poor guy mentally. It's, it's terrible. Uh, the, the bottom of page 187, we see uh, the, the arrow pulled out of him and this awesome Gene Colon sequence of rotting Dracula face to, you know, healthy, you know, Dracula is so cool. Yeah. And that final with Dracula back in his prime, the way they did his eyes where they're black and you just see these pinpoints of light, especially in the half of his face that's shrouded in, in like shadow. Yeah. Uh, so creepy. Uh, really, really like that effect. It's great. And it shows that he's back. He's back to just the way he was mm-hmm. before. Yeah. So good. Uh, we have one little interlude here with Taj at the grave site of his son. He and his wife are... Uh, are mourning the loss of their child. And it seems like they are kind of back on good terms with each other, having gone through this experience, finding comfort in each other's arms. And uh, that's mm-hmm. it's just a one-page thing. And it says, end of the interlude, you may say they lived happily ever after. Right. So off screen, in between issues, the villagers got to his son, yeah. uh, their son, and, and dispatched him. So yes, they're they're left grieving, but yeah, it's almost like they rediscovered themselves. Is this the end of Taj as far as our books concerned? You know that I don't think either one of us are reading ahead. Nope. So you know we're discovering this as, as we go, and um, well, I know what happens in the next issue because I well, read that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> I might have too. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see if this, you know, it's hard to imagine that Dracula would let this guy have a happily ever after, especially with what he just did to Quincy. He's been tormenting Quincy for thirty years. Yeah, I'm sure he hasn't forgotten his enemies, uh, such as Taj. So, I don't know. I guess you know we'll we'll wait and see on that. Yeah, we get uh, Dracula realizing that you know he is weak, and and you know that gauntlet shouldn't have have uh, got to him as quickly. You know, he almost died, basically, um, and he realizes that Dr. Sun is responsible for those weakened powers. And at the same time that Dracula realizes that, Quincy, he goes and changes his will. I guess he's got a living will, uh, and, and it looks like he's changing it in preparation for his impending death. Do you want to take a guess at who he's changing the name to? I'm going to I'm gonna say Rachel. Yeah, probably. That's what my guess is as well. But I think that's also kind of telling that, you know, he—I think he's— because. He, I don't know if he knew he was going to get through that gauntlet himself either. I, I think Quincy might have. And now I really think he's probably on a mission now to just he's going to end it along with him at all costs. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. So it's it's a kind of a somber note, but it is the natural progression of, of their particular relationship here. So, yes, we will see how that plays out as well. And at the very end of this issue, we're building to yet another final showdown we just had a final showdown with with harker and dracula now we're building to a final showdown between inspector kelm and dracula which is going to be in the next issue okay tomb of dracula issue 34 this is called showdown of blood um and again we got some globe hopping here so in brazil frank drake finds himself overrun by a horde of zombies and all hope seems lost but wait this looks like a job for brother voodoo Woo-hoo. 
<laughs> uh, and then in England, uh, Inspector Kelm almost kills Dracula, but he escapes. Yeah. In, in in India, it looks as though Taj has retired from the vampire hunting business, and he begins writing a letter to Rachel. Uh, at kind of uh, reminded by his wife that you know while while you were uh, away, you know Rachel would write letters. So that's just our little interlude with him. And then uh, back in England, Quincy and Rachel are now working with Inspector Kelm, discussing Dracula's recent actions. Uh, and they also talk about how Dr. Sun factors into what's going on here. So this was really cool, seeing everybody kind of working together. You know, you don't have the the police. Oh, what do you mean vampires exist? Like with Inspector Kelm and everybody like, okay. It's just understood. Which I, I really like because, you know, we they did enough of that earlier. And, and you see that in every single vampire movie or werewolf or whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh, that doesn't exist. And then at the end of this, we are introduced to a struggling fashion designer, uh, Daphne Von Wilkinson. And uh, we get a little background with her, and she partners with Dracula for revenge. Uh, she has uh, a chip on her shoulder, rightfully so, but she <laughs> she believes that Dracula is going to be the one that helps her. So that sets up for the next issue. Uh, again, a lot of things going on in just this issue. Um, yeah, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, you're right. A lot of things happening in this issue, and I just don't even know where to start. But I do want to start, mm -hmm. since we're talking about this fashion designer, uh, this sure. this one came out of nowhere halfway through the issue, introducing a new character and a new concept, even though we've got like four things on the go already. And so I was like, wow, why, why are I we... Know. And there's like so much buildup and lead up of introducing this character in detail before Dracula even enters the scene, it's like, holy cow. But, uh, I mean, once you get into the next issue, we find out that this is a larger story that they're trying to tell. But I was just surprised that we had only... I thought the Frank, the Frank story was going to be kind of the main focus of this whole issue because I don't think we saw him at all in the last issue, did we? Or was that... Um... Uh, I don't, I don't yeah. believe so. They had left that completely. We, we got the one page of, of Taj, but we didn't see Frank at all the last time. And, and all we knew was that he was being surrounded by zombies at that point. So uh, it was kind of a kind of weird thing. Well, let's uh, let's talk about Brother Voodoo if we could. Uh, sure. This is this is kind of our first real Marvel Universe superhero guest star. Um, and you know, to 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 many people, you know, Brother Voodoo probably doesn't rank very high. He's definitely he he only has a handful of uh, appearances total, uh, really. But up to this point, I did a little research. So up to this point, Brother Voodoo had a small stint in uh, Strange Tales which they restarted uh, in the 70s from issue 169 to 173. Right. He then jumped over to the black and white Tales of the Zombie magazine, and he was in two stories in that. He was in issue six and issue 10. And then for, so that wouldn't have been even regular comics. That's on that's on the, uh, the you know, the black and white magazines. He's back in the comics for Marvel team up issue 24. And and that's Brother Voodoo up to this point to his uh, his guest appearance here in Tomb of Dracula, which this he's going to be in this uh, title for a few issues now. So he was a fairly new character. I I think I think he fits 
perfectly with the supernatural stuff. Oh, for sure. My entire knowledge of Brother Voodoo growing up, really, and even up to this point, was he was always used as Fred Hembeck's, you know, <laughs> laughing stock. He yeah. was always his punchline. And I love Hembeck. Uh, yeah. You know, everybody, you know, who read Marvel Age and, and every, you know. But yeah, he always used Brother Voodoo as his complete uh, joke. And I got to say, I think he's a kind of a cool character. His visual is cool with that like anaconda snakeskin type of thing he's wearing. And uh, I believe it's his it's his dead brother's spirit that dwells within him Mm -hmm. that he uses. Yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on Brother Voodoo? Like you, I have no real connection to Brother Voodoo at all. Because his appearances are few and far between, he's never Mm -hmm. one that I've really come across. So um, he he does have a cool concept. I think that a lot of his, just a lot of his, you know, existence is a little out of date these days. Um, Sure. But, uh, you know, in the context of here, it's fine. And I know Marvel was really pushing the horror stuff at this time because the comic code had loosened up. We've spoken about this on the, on the, on these, on this show before. Uh, And that's why they, they are allowing zombies now, but the zombies still can't eat flesh and they can't be called zombies. That's, which is why they're called Zuvembis. Zuvembis, yeah. Which actually is a real term for zombies that was used quite a long time ago, like before zombies were cool. So <laughs> Right, yeah, zombies are the thing now. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, for the past 20 years, uh, it's been all about zombies. And, yep. and I'm wondering, that must be why they were able to do the, the Marvel character of zombie, but he was always in his black and white magazine. So Yes, because you know, they didn't have the same restrictions. The yeah, exactly. Now, this brother spirit that lives inside of Brother Voodoo, he says it's a Lua. It's a Lua brother. And a Lua mm-hmm. is is just the, the term for spirits in the Voodoo religion. So it's kind gotcha. of a cool tie to, you know, actual the actual um, religion that people do practice. Um, but he is, he's taken it one step further. And um, it is a belief in that religion that you can better communicate with spirits when the spirit inhabits another body. So that's what's happening to Frank here is the brother is inhabiting Frank's body and in fact controlling Frank so that Frank can, you know, do backflips and take care of these zombies a lot better than... Which is kind of silly because we've been seeing Frank take care of vampires, no problem. So why does he need the help to take care of the the zombies? I'm not sure. Well, he he was thrown off a cliff. True. Uh, Yeah. But then, (laughs) but then the spirit, the Lua spirit, didn't disappear after that or leave his body. We'll see in the next issue. He's still in him and helping him fight. So. Well, uh, a couple more things on Brother Voodoo, then we'll move on because we're supposed to be talking about Dracula. Okay. Um. After his stint in Tomb of Dracula, he moves over to Werewolf by Night for a few issues. And then I think there's a couple after that, and then it kind of goes quiet for a while. Um, For all of our listeners that are all about the collected editions, uh, ourselves included, I think there's enough here. Uh, They could do a complete collection of Brother Voodoo. You know, it's probably not going to be as thick as an epic collection, but um, you could pad it with a bunch of the the Fred Hembeck jokey stuff. And uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) they... 
Marvel did bring him back, or, or maybe it was specifically Bendis um, in the later New Avengers run when Doctor Strange was like MIA. Brother Voodoo became the Sorcerer Supreme of the Marvel Universe. So they did bring him back uh, to some extent. And I do know that his brother, because I believe he's Jericho Drum, and then his brother was Nathaniel Drum, or maybe I have that backwards. He's he's had a live action appearance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, really? He yeah he was in the first Doctor Strange movie was killed by Caecilius. Um, oh. He was the the one that was taking care of the the New York Sanctum before um, uh, oh. before Stephen Strange took over. Right. You see him for maybe two minutes and and he gets you know one of those invisible spears through him and he dies. So huh. technically. His his brother's dead, so I mean they could bring in. I don't think they will, unfortunately, but uh, they could bring him in. Uh, we we part of it. We saw part of it so far in live action. So I think that they might be hesitant to bring Brother Voodoo into live action just because of the cultural aspect of it. Uh, they'd have to. I think they might. I mean, if they do, they'd have to kind of alter things like they did with Shang Chi. Uh, sure quite a bit but we'll see we'll see if that happens but if it does bring on those complete collections now brother voodoo <laughs> does have yeah. a uh, a masterworks already oh really oh that's awesome okay so then it's the precedent is there yep it has the strange tales and werewolf issues marvel team up marvel two and one doctor strange moon knight uh tomb of dracula and it also has material from tales of the zombie he had a couple of stories in there as well so yep it goes all the way up to his appearance in Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, numbers okay, that 16 was the 90s and 70s. Series. Yeah, the, in the 90s. Okay. So, yeah. Well, maybe I'll just track that down because I don't know if we'll ever get a, a soft cover of it. But then again, you never know. Marvel cranks out lots of collect editions, man. It seems like eventually everybody will be collected. <laughs> yeah, I think so. To get back to our main story here, uh, we also had have yet another subplot beginning, which just in case, you know, you ran out of fingers to count these on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, page 205 we get during dracula's scuffle with inspector kelm we see a mysterious figure in the shadows who is revealed to be a vampire but is a vampire who has been tracking dracula for some time and that's it we're just uh yeah. he's referred to as a mysterious white-haired vampire yeah we actually met him in the last issue just briefly he was listening in on a conversation in a bar in the last issue um, okay, so let's keep on going because I want to talk about this next issue, which is yes. going to be, uh, I don't know if it's my favorite one of this, of what we're talking about today, but it sure was a good one. This one is called, this is issue number 35 called Hell Hath No Fury. Starring Nick Fury. This is a Nick Fury. This is right, Nick Fury. Guest appearance. <laughs> In Hell with Mephisto. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. Mephisto, Nick Fury uh, subplot. Yeah. No, just kidding. It's uh, this is a story. This is a story about Daphne, Daphne, the fashion designer. Uh, she has a real hang up about men because of the way she's been treated in the past. Uh, and I think that they really they hit it real hard in the last issue, like real hard. And uh, it was kind of a little bit over the top. But uh, her deal with Dracula is that she wants him to kill four men that have scorned her in the past in the terms of like stealing her designs in order to make them more famous and uh, and in return you know she saved his life gave him the blood that he needed to survive so 
Dracula is going to do that. And through the course of this book, this issue, he does just that. <laughs> I, I just love this ending because we mm -hmm. see Dracula. He does. He says he's going to kill one person every night. And so he does that. Uh, no, no. Uh, she wants him to do that. He says, oh, I'll kill them all, but I'm killing them all tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. He does it all in a hurry. That's right. And including this one woman that she has that that Daphne has lured to her office as well. So he kills her also. And Mm -hmm. great ending because in the end she gives dracula the information that he wants and and he finds she this is crazy this is the i know this is a whole book of unbelievable things but the most unbelievable thing here is that she employed her fashion models to seduce information out of the people in the government to find out where mm -hmm. dr sun is and he's in boston so <laughs> and it, it <laughs> and it and it He's hanging out at Cheers. He he wants to talk with Sam Malone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, he uh, and she had no like she knew she could get that information right away. This whole time that she's partnered with Dracula, she believes she has the upper hand the entire time. Yeah, because he needs this information about Doctor Son. She's going to get it for him, and but he, true to his form gets the upper hand because he has this instant horde of, you know, followers, mindless uh, slaves, vampire slaves that he unleashes on her in a I love pretty it. terrifying drawn, drawn panel. Um, it definitely felt like, you know, your typical kind of horror story, Tales from the Crypt kind of ending. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's why I liked it there. It was because yeah. she was undone by her own humanity, like her, yes. her lack of of moral ethics or whatever ended up being her undoing and Dracula mm -hmm. reveled in that. Yeah. And I really appreciate the, um, the fact that this title as much as going on all the time, they still have time every now and then to, Hey, you're reading a horror comic and they give you a kind of, you know, an ending like that, or they give you moments like that where it's like, Oh wow, this is, you know, not for everybody. Cause this, you know, it, it has scary parts. Um, and, yep. and they, they do, do a good job there. We get more Brother Voodoo. More Brother Voodoo. He, he got the cover. But he doesn't actually feature so prominently in the issue. Again, he's only like three pages or so. So I was quite surprised that he... Well, I mean, the cover is there so that they can sell the team up. Right. But he... Yeah, he's not there very much at all. Well, they do end it with him continuing to uh, be teamed up with Frank because now they're going to track down Frank's cousin and yes. see what's going on there. I liked page 222, uh, like that middle set of panels. You know, I, I think people are probably sick of me talking about Gene Colan drawing Dracula turning into a bat, <laughs> but he does it differently all the time. He does. Like, look at this. Look at this one. This one's great. He, Dracula's talking as he's turning into this monster bat, and it just is so creepy and cool because you know at some point – you know, this creepy bat thing is talking to to uh, her. I, I don't know. I just, <laughs> he keeps doing it differently. I got to bring it up. But what I like about this one also is that the whole row is divided into three panels, mm -hmm. but the transformation extends over top of all three panels. So yes. it's, it's it's a great layout. It's it's striking and quite remarkable. It, it's very well done. Um, The other thing I wanted to bring up, and again, you know, we're going to keep this family friendly, but page 229 with uh, the model that Dracula kills, uh, there's some well-placed shading. <laughs> yeah. On that bottom panel. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. Got to uh, push the limits a little bit here. And I think they knew that. I mean, this whole thing, this whole, I was surprised actually by a number of these issues with how much they try to push the limits for a comic of this era. 
Mm-hmm. Just with some of the murders and, and whatnot. So Sure. Well, it was funny because I'm reading this. I'm, I'm next to my wife when I'm reading it, and I, I showed her the panel. She's like, oh, wow. And I go, I, I go, I'm podcasting with Curtis. I go, he's a nice guy. He goes to church. I can't, I can't bring this up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I go, you know what? I'm just going to write down saucy artwork and just leave it at that. <laughs> it, 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 it's surprising to read a Bronze Age Marvel comic and to see, you know, that particular, you know, it does, you don't normally get that. So I'm like, well, I'm going to bring it up because that's the type of person I am. Oh, for sure. And I've got no problem with that. That's <laughs> yeah. totally fine. Uh, well, the time has come. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to talk about the two giant size issues. So if you're reading along in this complete collection, the next, you know, 100 pages or so are taken up by the Dracula Lives issues. And we are going to skip over those. We will save Dracula Lives for another day. But uh, we will continue with uh, the two giant size Dracula issues that are at the back of this book, issues four and five. We're basically going to be talking about Dracula for the next 10 Halloweens. You realize that, right? (laughs) (laughs) We got a lot. We got a lot that we skipped that we got to go back to, and we still have a lot more of the series to go. That's okay. As long as we're still alive, I'm game for it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I will take Giant Size Dracula number four. Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And you're going to leave me to try and describe Giant Size Dracula number five? Okay. Uh, I am, yeah. it's Well, it's your podcast, so... (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Well, go All ahead. Right. This one's actually not that much easier to describe. It's no, so convoluted as well. This one's a tough one. So, okay. So this is the name of this one's called Let It Bleed. Now, this one specifically tells us it's 1934. So it's it's can be read whenever. It doesn't in any way conflict with what we're, we're reading now for the 70s because we know this takes place a, a while back. But we have uh, Dracula. Uh, he, he's compelled to come to North Dakota to investigate a, and I w- wrote the quote here, a most pervasive, sheerly malignant force <laughs> that will likely become a threat to him someday. So he feels like he needs to get to North Dakota and destroy this, stop this, whatever. Right. Now, this evil force, and we get many pages focused on this, uh, has caused a North Dakota man to kill a sparrow, his dog, his wife, and others, and eventually takes his daughter to this evil force as a sacrifice. Uh, <laughs> the evil force is then revealed to be a massive pulsating heart of pure evil that <laughs> <laughs> that used to be a Sioux Indian necromancer and is then destroyed by Dracula. Um, <laughs> I love it. What did I just read? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this was written by, by David Kraft, and I don't know enough about him to have an opinion one way or the other. Part of this is written just in the style of, you know, 70s comics where there's it's very wordy. Over descriptive words, in my opinion, a lot of times I feel like, you know, you should be able to show more than than what you tell when it comes to graphic storytelling. And this was just the way comics were done then. So I'm not going to I'm not going to put too much on them for that. Um, uh, but Don Heck was the artist. Again, we've said this before. I, I do like Don Heck, but it's it's a drop off in, in, in art going from what we've been used to to the Don Heck style who was there to get the job done. Let's, you know, let's put it that way. Yeah. But man, this was one of these stories that 
Dracula just kind of is in. They tell this whole story about this man and his daughter, and they're, they have an estranged relationship. These horrible acts that this man is doing against his will, in particular, the, the killing of his own dog, that was uh, was not e- an easy thing to read because of the sequencing there. He calls her over from sleeping, and she trots over, and he pitchforks her. Yeah, That was pretty, that was pretty awful. Uh, I actually felt more bad about that than his wife or the other people. <laughs> we get no background on this giant pulsating heart that's inside this mountain. <laughs> yeah. The the fact that it was a Sioux uh, necromancer. I mean, we don't see a cool flashback of this, you know, um, the, the, the black magic happening or turning him into this. And then Dracula destroying it, it just, it doesn't even, it just fizzles, it fizzles out. Into yeah, like, it's like, what? What is that? It wasn't even clear in the way that it's drawn that it's like shrinking <laughs> and disappearing. It was such an Not unsatisfying ending to the story. Not at, exactly. So there is a lot that I did like about this. I, I did like the descent into craziness that this poor man who is doing things against his will is doing. Like I, I felt really bad for him because he's trying to stop himself. That felt Lovecraftian a bit. Yeah. So it, it, it did have me for a little bit in the story. Cause you know, that's, that's very much how he writes, you know, from, you know, that slow descent into madness. Yep. Uh, I enjoyed that. Um, and then, you know, and then it the starts reveal. to happen again to the brother. And I, I enjoyed that, yeah. too, because now it's like, oh, no, what's this poor girl going to do? But then once we get to this heart, I'm like, OK, what is this? And like, why is Dracula there? He's just been drawn to it. And like, because yeah. and Dracula is going to try and destroy it because he like wants to be the most evil thing in the world or something or like, right. It just there's no motivation. There's no point in Dracula being there. This is basically a story that maybe David Anthony Kraft had in the inventory file or something like that Could like be. oh this will work perfect for giant size dracula just uh yeah stick dracula in there instead of uh yeah anybody i don't know it could have been anyone <laughs> it, it literally could have been anybody um you know and then and then the very end of this whole thing so so the daughter is killed yeah and then once the heart is destroyed um the man then just wants to die dracula refuses to kill him so he takes the knife out of his daughter and then he shoves it in his own heart and kills himself. So there's just so much misery and awfulness throughout that. I mean, it's, it's just leaves you kind of feeling kind of empty. Like, well, I don't know. I felt what was the point of the story? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, you know, again, uh, I, I don't mind the Dracula not being a major part of it. If, the story itself was in some way compelling. Um, and I don't always need a happy ending, but it also just seemed to be, eh, okay, well, let's just kill him then. I don't know. Well, I don't mind if Dracula is also not the primary focus, but Dracula's presence has to be there for a logical purpose. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a throwaway line that he has to destroy this power. It's He's drawn to North Dakota of all places. Yeah, it's just, it's just kind of silly, the whole thing. No offense to any of our listeners from North Dakota. <laughs> I'm sure it's very lovely up there. I'm from yeah. Buffalo, so... I just uh, want to know where I'm that giant heart is. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's in this mountain that they... What did they call that? The Devils. The Devils. I think they called that... Yeah. Well, and that's like the one in Australia, right? Yeah, they call the statue the Devil's Heart, or not statue. The um, there's Devil's Tower in that was featured in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. So S- yeah, so that might thing. be what they're. Yeah, it's the same sort of uh, rocky formation. Um, but yeah, this I didn't hate this because I then read Dr- Giant's Dracula <laughs> number five. 
Uh, I did. Yeah. You know, let's just let's just move on to that. OK, I, I don't want to talk about Giant Size 4 anymore. OK, so Giant Size Dracula number five is also written by David Anthony Kraft. He actually passed away not too long ago. Um, but he, when I when I saw him on Facebook, he was always he was always promoting himself. He was his biggest marketing machine. And I, I think that he just really liked talking about himself as well. Like he was very much um, one of the in, the in the camp of, you know, all of my work is so great kind of a person. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why we get so much dialogue in this, mm -hmm. in both of these issues. And this is not an uncommon thing for any David Anthony Craft uh, story, whether it's Avengers or, I mean, Defenders or whatever. Uh, he puts a lot of dialogue in there. And that's just because I think that he valued his his work uh, yeah. a little bit more than he should have maybe <laughs> that, that's the vibe i get from it he could have pared it down so this issue here giant size dracula number five is even more wordy than the other one there's just so much dialogue and so much <laughs> narration and exposition it's unreal like some of these <laughs> these pages are just so filled to the brim with words and now part of that I think this is like, I'll get into the plot of this in just a second. Part of that is because of the illustrators, which are credited as V. Redonado and Dan Adkins. Uh, and then the V, let's see, what does it say here at the front of it? Um, it's Virgilio Redonado. There's a name I don't recognize. Yeah, I don't recognize that either. The art isn't bad in this. It's not bad, but why I'm pointing this out is because I don't think that Renato is a great storyteller. Uh, right. There are a lot of scenes where um, it's very static or it's the, the action isn't flowing very well or he just kind of repeats panels over without, you know, showing where what's going on or what's what's happening. And so I think that David Anthony Craft actually has to compensate a little bit by putting in a lot of words in order to make the story flow a little bit better. It It's very possible. So you couple that uh, with the amount of words that he would normally put in a in a comic and then you know add a layer on top of that that he's actually adding more because he needs to explain the story here and we have an overcomplicated issue so the plot yes okay the plot this one's called the art of dying and there are two things going on here one is that we're met with a french secret service agent who whom dracula is tracking down and, and trying to kill and they have a back and forth and it, it causes it causes this this uh, um, agent to flee to the mountains of Switzerland, and Dracula follows him. On the other side, uh, there is this giant dirigible, uh, a blimp that's holding this man, and his name is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Paul Carey Evans. And he looks like a movie mogul with his circular sunglasses and his big cigar and his short, slicked back hair or whatever. But he is like a nasty person to the woman who's on the ship and all of his crew, and they don't like him at all. But he, and so I guess what he's doing is he's forcing them to fly into the mountains. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not exactly sure what his motivation is there he, either. He, he was having dreams. That were driving that were him compelling mad, him, and they were compelling him to go to these mountains in a zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> in a zeppelin. 
Uh, and so, yeah, you think this is completely random. So the, this this whole thing is split into four chapters. The first chapter is about the French guy. The second chapter is about this blimp. And then the third chapter is about Dracula and this French guy in the mountains, facing off in the snow. And then the fourth chapter, the blimp happens to show up exactly where they're fighting. And, and, the, and, and the French guy climbs into the blimp. Uh, and so does Dracula, and they have this big fight, and it's like, no, this is this is the thing I was drawn toward. It was Dracula the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Then in the end, the French guy and the woman who's being mistreated, they they fly out of the, they jump out of the blimp just as the blimp crashes into a mountain, and who knows what happens to Dracula? It doesn't really matter. Um, no. And and these two are left in the cold in the mountains without any sort of protective gear, and they're probably <laughs> going to die as well anyway. So pretty much everyone dies. Nothing matters with this. Nothing. Okay, let's, let's be honest on that. And as a side note, have, have you ever read a story or seen a TV show or a movie that features a Zeppelin that doesn't blow up at some point? Oh, no. I not feel a... like those half. I know there was that Batman animated series episode with uh, Raz, Raz Al Ghul uh, and Jonah Hex. And, you know, that gets blown. They, they always blow up. <laughs> they always uh, blow up. So, you know, we got a, a, actually got a nice two page spread of the thing blowing up. Now, did you notice in that two-page spread, the sound effect is Dakum, and Dak, <laughs> D-A-K, is David Anthony Kraft. He put his own name oh into sound effects God. whenever he could. Did he really? <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, let's see. What are my notes? Let's see. Uh, nothing. Awful comic, the most unrealistic dialogue ever. Now, <laughs> the... Um, the back and forth. So for five pages straight, we get this back and forth of this guy, Paul Carey Evans, yep. apologizing to his girlfriend or his his uh, you know his his lady friend here, and then being awful, and then apologizing for being awful, and then being awful again, and going back and forth, kills a guy, throws him out the blimp, um, then pulls a knife on her and keeps apologizing for what he's doing. Um, it's, it's just, it's just terrible. I struggled yeah. so hard with those five pages. I called a friend of mine and read some of this dialogue that is filled with exposition on all the backgrounds to the characters talking. <laughs> yes. And, and Unnecessary. It, it's, it's, it's so bad. Um, I, I just want to thank you for allowing me to go on this journey with you, Curtis. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> to get to giant size Dracula number five, uh, this comic will live in infamy in in forever for me. So it's so interesting because the the main series is incredibly excellent, and then so they have they have this giant size Dracula series where Claremont it's early Claremont stuff. He's not doing his greatest work, and then we get to this stuff that's even worse than that. So. I mean, this is the nice thing about the complete collections is that they are complete for better or for they worse. Are. And you can choose to read these if you want to, uh, to see exactly what we're talking about, or you can skip right over them. No, it makes no difference at all. Do you, I want to point out a few things here of this issue. Yeah. This man on the blimp. <laughs> Paul Carey. Yep. As he gets closer to his destination, he gets more and more out of control of his emotions and he starts doing terrible things. Does that sound familiar to you? Because I'm pretty sure we had that set up in the previous giant size Dracula. Yes. Uh, also written by David Anthony Kraft. How about <laughs> yes. this this evil force that is compelling people to yeah. come toward it? That sounds exactly kind of like giant size Dracula number four as well. Like it's right. just kind of, it's not, it's also not original. <laughs> 
<laughs> no. And, you know, you look at the at the, the the credits here and, and the editor at the time was Len Wein. Yeah. And I, he's lucky he's the co-creator of Wolverine and Swamp Thing because I would have an issue with him allowing this to see print. <laughs> but it was a money grab. I mean, this was on the stands. You know, Marvel was getting 50 cents for these issues because people yep. were, you know, they were still all about this stuff. Plus, this was just the one story of, you know, probably three or four or five that, you know, probably were much better than this. That's true. There were, I forgot I was going to mention that both of these giant sized issues had about four other stories that were reprints of late Golden Age or early Silver Age Marvel comics. Now, there is a story in this, though, that we should talk about yep. that is reprinted here called Dark Asylum. Yeah, it is a short story, nothing at all to do with Dracula or vampires, but it's original content, which is why like not yes. a reprint, which is why I guess they stick it in this book as well. well. Do you want to know why it's here? Uh, sure. Why is it here? Because I, I researched this as well. This is significant. This little five page story. It is the first Marvel art or Marvel work for John Byrne. Ah, I was wondering about that because yes. it doesn't look like his work at all. It's it's very yeah, it's it, you, you, there's a couple little burn isms, but but not really. Um, but the fact that they put this in here when it has nothing to do with Dracula vampires, anything is nice because it has a significance for the industry and, and for Marvel itself. So I really, really appreciate the fact that this is this is in here. Because they could have just saved themselves some paper and not put this in. It has nothing to do with Tomb of Dracula in even the slightest. That's true. We, I was just doing um, a couple of Conan episodes, and there's one Conan issue that has a backup story featuring King Cull, and they don't include it in mm -hmm. the book. And I'm like, that's kind of silly. They should have just included it in there, but mm -hmm. uh, and but they they're doing it for this one. Now this is a plot by Tony Isabella, and the script is just by David Kraft, David Anthony Kraft. Yeah, this this was a good little story, and you know what? Maybe those other two David Kraft stories we read would have been fine if they were five pages. <laughs> yeah, I, I love this story because, like you said, just a few pages. It really, really, really does feel like an old EC Comics horror story. Uh, yep. th this guy wakes up in a basically a haunted mansion full of monsters. He doesn't know how he got there, and he has to kind of go through it, battling uh, a whole bunch of things. He battles this this cat creature with with bat wings. It's a like a devil dog they call a it. Devil dog, and he battles this woman who turns into a snake, mm -hmm. and battles a, a a a cloaked fiery cloaked person with a sword who ends up having his own face. And in the end, we find out that he's actually, he wakes up and he's in an insane asylum. He was a raving maniac until just a few seconds ago, he's, the, the doctor says, and he's, he's found his own sanity. So basically, this whole story is him battling his mind for control of his mind. I thought that was a great twist at the end. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, I, I like the colors in here because... It, it, it actually everything just keeps popping off the page the way that the panels are laid out the way yeah. that the color the colors are used the, the the use of blank space to make things pop uh, i'm looking at page 491 uh, we get this awesome kind of transformation of this you know scantily clad lady turning into the snake woman and there's a lot of white space uh there's a lot of lot of good on here but like I said, it's a, definitely a kudos to the Marvel Collected Editions de Department to put it in here. Uh, I'm a huge John Byrne fan of uh, absolutely the 80s for sure with what he did with Marvel. And it's cool just knowing that I have 
at least a reprint of his original work. Uh, I think that's really cool. Hold on a second. I got to look this up. What is, if this is really John Byrne's first Marvel work, what is Giant Size Dracula number five actually worth? Because I I would be like, based on that the, the main story, it should be worth about 50 cents. <laughs> uh, let me see. I'll jump on real quick. I'll take a look here. It may just be a footnote that it it is in there. I mean, for completist, I think it's pretty cool. I guess somebody's selling one on eBay for 20 bucks, so it's probably around that. That's not too bad uh, for a comic from nope. the 70s, giant size comic. And it's out of it's out of stock on uh, mycomicshop.com, so usually the uh, the more expensive ones are out of out of stock. Yeah. Unless there's a lot of the Polk Harry Evans fans that we don't know about. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that does it for our episode today. We have covered now three volumes of Tomb of Dracula Complete Collections. And uh, next Halloween, we'll be back for volume four. And that will be, uh, there's quite a lot of content there because there's, uh, there's not as much black and white material. So we'll split that into two parts again. But uh, I'm sure if you can't wait, you can go ahead and read read ahead. <laughs> it's a long way <laughs> yeah, to doing yeah. it just a year, every year. Yeah, but you know what? It always creeps up on us, it seems. It's true, yeah. All of a sudden, I get the call. Okay, time for Dracula. <laughs> That's like, right. All right, let's do this. Well, thank you once again, Josh, for being a part of this. It's always a pleasure to talk. It's, it's These are fun conversations we have, really fun. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, it's good times. And, uh, you know, as I said before, we're both kind of experiencing this for the first time as we go. So so it's also, I don't know, it, it's fun to uh, experience that with somebody else. So yeah, this is cool. Great. So everybody, I hope you enjoy listening to us talk about Dracula. Uh, we got more surprises in store for you in coming weeks on the podcast, so I hope you stay tuned. Uh, and in the meantime, check us out on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter and on YouTube and join our uh, Facebook page. Just search for Epic Collections on Facebook to find that one. But yeah, let's sign off. See ya. See everybody later. Yep. Have a good Halloween, everybody.